0: to the Crack Open a Classic podcast, the podcast where I read a chapter or two an episode aloud, ask questions to help you think about the chapter, and open the world of classics to you to so grab a cup of coffee or tea, and let's jump into the chapter. Chapter 20, The Torres Strait. During the night of the 27th and 28th of December, the Nautilus left Vanacoro at great speed, her direction was southwest, and in three days she had covered the seven hundred fifty leagues that separate La Perouse's group from the southeast point of Papua. Early in the morning on the first of January, eighteen sixty eight, Conseil joined me on the platform. Will Monsieur permit me to wish him a Happy New Year? Well, well, Conseil, it's just as if I were in Paris, in my study, at the Jardin des Plantes. I accept your good wishes with pleasure and thank you but i should like to know what you mean by a happy new year under the present circumstances will this year see the end of our imprisonment or will it see the continuation of this strange voyage really i am at a loss to answer monsieur replied conseil we are seeing some very strange things and for the past two months we haven't had time to be bored it is strange indeed Every new marvel we see is more astonishing than the preceding one, and if this continues, who knows what the end will be. Nevertheless, we will certainly never have another opportunity like this. Never, can say. Besides, Monsieur Nemo, who more than justifies his Latin name, couldn't trouble us less, even if he didn't exist. Nemo, in Latin, means nobody, no man, or no one. I am inclined to agree and say, I should say then, if Monsieur doesn't mind my saying so, that a good year would be a year that would enable us to see everything. See, everything can say that might take a long time. What does Ned Land think of all of this? Ned Land disagrees with me in everything, replies he He's a positive thinker with an imperious stomach. For an Anglo-Saxon worthy of the name, the lack of bread and meat, especially beef-sticks, the lack of brandy or gin drunk in moderation is unthinkable, as far as I am concerned, can say nothing like that disturbs me. I have no difficulty whatsoever in adjusting to the diet on board. Neither have I, replied Conseil, and I am as anxious to remain here as Master Land is to escape. If the year, which is just beginning, isn't a good one for me, it will be for him, and vice versa. No matter what happens, someone will always be pleased. But for Monsieur, "'I wish him everything that may give him pleasure.' "'Thank you, Conseil. "'However, a New Year's gift is out of the question now. "'A good handshake will have to do for the moment. "'It is all I have to give. "'Monsieur has never been more generous,' replied Conseil. "'Whereupon the good lad left me. "'On the 2nd of January, we had traveled 11,340 miles, "'or 5,250 leagues, since we had left the waters of Japan.' before the Nautilus stretched the dangerous waters of the Coral Sea on the northeast of Australia. Our ship was cruising along not far from the dangerous bank on which Cook's ships had almost been lost on the 10th of June 1770. Cook's ship struck a rock and did not sink only because a piece of coral detached by the collision remained lodged in the hole. I should have been delighted to visit that reef which is 360 degrees long and against which the sea, always turbulent, breaks with tremendous power and makes a noise like the rumble of thunder, but at that moment the fins of the Nautilus were steering us down to a great depth and I could see nothing of the high coral walls. I had to be satisfied to study the fish that had been brought up in our nets. I found some albacore, a species of mackerel as large as a tunny with bluish sides and transverse stripes that actually disappear when the animal dies. These fish followed us in schools and provided us with very delicate fare. We also f- took a large number of gilt heads, about two inches long, which taste like dories, and flying pyrupeds really underwater swallows, which on a dark night light first the air and then the water with their phosphorescent glow. Among mollusks and zoophytes, we caught several species of alcyonarians, echinids, hammer shells, spur shells, sundials, serathidia, and haliae. The flora gave us some beautiful floating seaweeds, liminaria, and macrocysts impregnated with that mucilage which seeps through their pores. I found also an admirable Nemastoma Stoma, Jelaniara Roida, which we classified among the natural curiosities of the museum. Two days after crossing the Coral Sea on the 4th of January, we came to the Papuan coast and Captain Nemo took the opportunity to inform me that he intended to reach the Indian Ocean through the Torres Strait. That was all he said. Ned was pleased for this route would bring him closer to the waters of Europe. The Torres Strait is considered dangerous not only because of the reefs with which it bristles, but also because of the savages that inhabit its coasts. It separates New Holland from the large island of Papua, also known as New Guinea. Papua is 400 leagues long by 130 leagues wide and has a surface of 40,000 geographical leagues. The position is between latitude 0 degrees 19 minutes and 10 degrees 2 minutes south and longitudes 128 degrees 23 minutes and 146 degrees 15 minutes. At midday, as the second-in-command measured the height of the sun, I noticed the peaks of the Arfolks Mountains, which are very pointed and stand out one behind the other on different levels. This country, discovered in 1511 by the Portuguese Francisco Serrano, was visited successively by Don José de Menenses in 1526, by Grijalva in 1527, by the Spanish general Alver de Saavedra in 1528, by Juego Cortes in 1545, by the Dutchman Chautin in sixteen sixteen, by Nicholas Schruk in seventeen fifty three, by Tasman, Dampier, Fomel, Porteret Edwards, Bourgainville, Cook, Forrest McClure, and de Entre in seventeen ninety two, by Duperrey in eighteen twenty three, and by Dumont Deuville in eighteen twenty seven. This is the very heart of the territory occupied by the blacks of the Malaysian archipelago. Monsieur d'Arenze, has said, I had few doubts that the hazards of this passage would bring me face to face with the redoubtable Andamans. The Nautilus was ready to enter the most dangerous strait in the world, one that even the most courageous navigators scarcely dare attempt, a strait that Louis Paz de Torres braved on his return to Melanesia from the South Sea, and that in 1840 nearly brought total disaster to the battered corvettes of Dumont d'Urville. The Nautilus, although superior in facing all the dangers of the sea, was going to face those coral reefs also. The Torres Strait is about 34 leagues wide, obstructed by countless islands, islets, breakers, and rocks that make it almost impossible to navigate. Consequently, Captain Nemo took all the necessary precautions to effect passage. The Nautilus, just touching the surface, moved forward at a moderate speed, while her propeller, like a cetacean's tail, beat the waves slowly. Taking advantage of this situation, my two companions and I had taken our places on the platform which was deserted. In front of us protruded the steersman's cage, and unless I was very much mistaken, Captain Nemo himself must have been there, directing the movements of the Nautilus. I had before me some excellent charts of the Torres Strait, surveyed and drawn by the hydrographical engineer mince dumoulin and in sign Comfon du Bois an admiral, both of whom served on the staff of dumont d'Urville on his last voyage of circumnavigation. These maps, together with those made by Captain King, are the best ones to untangle the complications of this narrow passage, and I examined them with close attention. The waters around the Nautilus surged and seized furiously. The current, running southeast to northwest at the speed of two and a half miles, broke on the coral visible here and there. That's a nasty sea indeed, said Ned Land. Quite detestable, I agreed, and it is not at all suited to a ship such as the Nautilus. This damned captain, said the Canadian, must be certain of his course, cause I can see some patches of the coral that would smash his hull to a thousand pieces if he even touched them. The situation was indeed perilous, but the Nautilus seemed to slip through the menacing reefs as if by magic. She was not following exactly the same route as the Astrolabe and the Zelay, which proved fatal to Dumont d'Urville. Instead, she navigated further north, coasted along Murray Island, came back southwest towards Cumberland Passage. I thought we were going to sail right through it when, turning back to the northwest, we sailed through a series of little-known islets toward Towned Island, Mouvet Channel, and the Evil Channel. I wondered whether Captain Nemo, foolhardy as he was, would permit his ship to the passage where Dumont d'Urville's two corvettes had run aground, when changing his course for a second time, cutting straight through the west, he made for the island of Goubert, and was then. Three o'clock in the afternoon, the sea was covered with breakers and it was nearly high tide. The Nautilus approached the island, which I can always recall because of its unusual fringe of pandanus or screw pines. We were skirting it at a distance of less than two miles. Suddenly, I was thrown on the deck. The Nautilus had just struck a reef and was lying motionless with a slightless port. When I got up, I saw Captain Nemo and a second in command on the platform. They examined the ship's position and discussed it in their incomprehensible idiom. This was the situation. Two miles to starboard lay the island of Guber, whose coast curved from north to west like a huge arm. Toward the south and east, we could see crests of coral barred by the ebb tide. We had run aground in one of these seas where the tides were moderate a difficult situation for refloating the Nautilus. However, so sol- solidly was she built that she had suffered no damage. But if she could neither float nor move, she ran the risk of being stuck on these rocks forever. If such were the case, Captain Nemo's submarine would be done for. I was thinking about all of this when Captain Cool, calm, and in complete control of himself, he seemed neither excited nor vexed, came up to me. An accident, I asked him. No, he replied, an incident. Nevertheless, an incident, I rejoined, that may force you to become once more an inhabitant of the land you abhor. Captain Nemo gave me a curious look and shook his head, by which he clearly meant that nothing would ever compel him to set foot on land again. Then he said, Monsieur Aronnax, the Nautilus is not incapacitated. She will continue to carry you through the marvels of the ocean. Our voyage has only just begun, and I have no wish to deprive myself of the honor of your company so soon— "'But, Captain Nemo,' I went on, pretending not to notice the ironical tone of his words, "'the Nautilus has run aground at high tide, and as you know, the tides are not very strong in the Pacific, "'and if you cannot lighten the Nautilus, which seems impossible to me, I do not see how you can refloat her.' "'You are right, Professor,' replied Captain Nemo. Tides in the Pacific are not very strong, but in the Torres Strait, there is a difference in some places of four to five feet between high tide and low tide. Today is the 4th of January. Within five days, we shall have a full moon. Now, I should be very much surprised if that obliging satellite were not to raise the water sufficiently to render me a service, a service for which I shall be indebted to her alone. Without another word, Captain Nemo, followed by his lieutenant, went back down into the Nautilus. The ship remained motionless, as if the coral polyps had already cemented her in their construction. Well, monsieur, said Ned Land, coming up to me when the captain had gone below. Well, Ned, we will need to wait until the high tide on the ninth. Apparently the moon will be thoughtful enough to refloat us on that date. As easy as all that? As easy as all that? Why doesn't the captain cast his anchors into the deep, set his engines to pull on the chains, and do everything to set himself free? Why do that if the tide will do it? Kinsei replied simply. The Canadian looked at Kinsei and shrugged his shoulders. It was the sailor in him speaking. Let me tell you, Professor, he said, you can believe me when I tell you that this piece of scrap iron will never sail again, either on or under the water. She's only good now to be sold as scrap iron. I think the moment has now come to part company with Captain Nemo. Ned, I replied, I do not believe the Nautilus situation is as bad as all that. In four days we shall know how far we can rely on these Pacific tides. Incidentally, it might be advisable to escape if we were off the coast of England or of Provence, but we are off the coast of Papua, which is quite different. There will be time enough to think seriously about that if the Nautilus cannot be refloated. That, I think, would leave us in a very deplorable situation. But don't you think we should at least see what the land is like?' Ned Land continued. Look, there is an island. On that island, there are trees. Under those trees, there are animals, purveyors of chops and steaks, which I wouldn't mind getting my teeth into. Ned is right about that, said Conseil, I agree with him. Could not Monsieur obtain permission from his friend Captain Nemo to have us taken ashore just so we don't lose the feel of terra firma? I can ask him, but I know he will refuse. Let Monsieur risk it, said Conseil we will at least know how much we can depend on the captain's good nature. Much to my surprise, Captain Nemo granted me the permission I asked. He did so very graciously and willingly, without so much as asking me to promise to return on board. But a flight through the wilds of New Guinea would be a very perilous undertaking, and I should not have advised Nedland to have tipped it. But better to be a prisoner aboard the Nautilus than to fall into the hands of the Papuan natives— the dinghy was placed at our disposal for the following morning and i did not try to find out whether captain nemo would be accompanying us i did not even imagine that any member of the crew would row the boat but that ned land would be given that task the land was only two miles away at the most and it was only child's play for the canadian to steer the little dinghy between the reefs so fatal to big ships The next day, the 5th of January, the dinghy was uncovered, removed from its compartment, and launched into the sea from the top of the platform. Two men were sufficient for this operation. The oars were already in the boat, and all we had to do was take our seats. At 8 o'clock, armed with electric rifles and hatchets... We cast out from the Nautilus. The sea was fairly calm, and there was a slight breeze offshore. Conseil and I took the oars and rowed briskly, while Ned steered us through the narrow channels between the breakers. The dinghy was easy to handle and cut through the waters at a great rate. Ned Land could not contain his joy. He was like a prisoner, just escaped from jail, and the thought that he would have to return never entered his mind. Meat, he kept repeating. We're going to have meat, real meat and real game. What if there isn't any bread, mind you? "'I don't say that fish isn't good, but it's not good to overdo it. "'A piece of fresh venison grilled on the hot coals "'ll be a nice change from our usual diet.' "'Gourmand,' retorted Conseil. "'you're making my mouth water.' "'It remains to be seen,' I said, "'whether or not there is any game in these forests, "'and if so, whether the game is of the kind the si- and size "'that is more likely to hunt than be hunted.' "'Perhaps so, Monsieur Ernax, replied the Canadian, whose teeth seemed to have been wetted like the blade of an axe. But I would eat a tiger if there is no other quadruped on this island. A nice loin of a tiger would be just the thing. Ned worries me, said Conseil. Well, whatever you say, continued Ned, any animal that has four legs and no feathers or two legs and feathers will be my first target. I see, I replied. Master Land's indiscretions are about to start all over again. No fear of that, Monsieur Aronnax," rejoined the Canadian. Just keep rowing. In less than half an hour, I promise you one of my tasty dishes. At half past eight, the dinghy landed gently on a patch of sand, having successfully crossed the coral reef circ- encircling the island of Gubur. Questions to Consider After Reading say says that he is never bored with the wonders under the sea. Ned Land dreams of freedom. What is the purpose of these two characters to the story? Why is the Torres Strait dangerous? Why are the tides different in the Strait than elsewhere? Captain Nemo allows a hunting expedition led by Ned Land. Why? Thank you for listening to today's chapter if you would like to discuss the questions follow me on the crack open a classic podcast instagram page and comment on today's chapter's post if you like this podcast please share it with others so we can get the word out about more classics if you would like to suggest a book to be read email me at crackopenaclassicpodcast@gmail.com. a classic podcast at gmail.com check back tomorrow for the next chapter in this adventure